When I was a child, uh, Disney was in kind of a renaissance. Uh, They went through a really bad period in my young adulthood where they couldn't make a good movie. But in my childhood, it was kind of the Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King swell of Disney animated movies. And I remember uh, watching those films and re-watching those films and re-watching those films. And and they are just uh, tremendously well-done stories. And my favorite of those stories was the story of Aladdin. I loved the movie Aladdin. Rob Williams as the genie. The whole storyline is a good story. And it's unlike Little Mermaid, which is the worst storyline of any movie ever made. Um, You know, Aladdin is is a storyline of this young boy, right, who... Uh, by, by some fate of luck and character inside of himself is able to, to accomplish great things and fight off evil. But, you know, um, inside of the, the story of Aladdin, you have this, this magic lamp and you have the genie in, in the lamp. And, and the genie's only goal in life, right, is to grant whatever its master wants. That's the entire purpose of the genie and so when aladdin would need something he could ask the genie for it and the genie would accomplish it up to three times right and that was the 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 upper end limit i don't understand why genies have upper end limits on how many wishes you get but those are the rules right so we all understand the rules and so as a kid we would kind of go through and say well what would your wishes be right well we would come up with different wishes and dreams that we would get if, if we happened to stumble across a magic lamp genie and and it's a wonderful thought experiment right to think about what it is that you would really want and if you had a limited number of things that you could just make happen what would you do with that power the problem with that thought experiment is that it's just that it's just a thought experiment a lot of us though approach god like he is our personal genie right and we go to god and we go to god and we ask him to do this for us or that for us and we take on the role of the master, and God takes on the role of the genie who is the servant to the person. And that is a dangerous place to be. To look at God and to, to relegate him to a position of wish granter uh, is a great offense to him and, and a great exaggeration of your personal power. We're going to look at that today in the book of Jonah chapter 4. We're going to finish Jonah today and then next week we'll pick up as we begin to get ready for the Christmas season. As Advent begins next week, um, we'll begin to get into the throes uh, of what it means to prepare ourselves for the arrival of the Christ child. But today we're in Jonah chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you open there. Let me read a little bit from Jonah chapter 4. Well, you know what's going on just to set the day, right? Jonah is a prophet by God. He's told to go to a place He says, God, I won't go there. He goes the other way. God sends a storm. Jonah gets swallowed by a fish. Three days later, Jonah spit up on the the shoreline. And God says, hey, I still want you to go there. And so in Jonah 3, Jonah gets up, goes to Nineveh, the place that he was called to go, and delivers the message that he was called to give. And while he's there in the city, the people of Nineveh, um, the residents of Nineveh, who God has um, commanded Jonah to say would be uh, utterly conquered and destroyed in 40 days, repent from their wickedness. They cry out to God, they fast, they mourn, they lament, they, they, they promise to change their way from the king down to the lowest person in the city, all take on a, a, a vow of fasting and sit in sackcloth and ashes, truly humbling themselves to the word of God. And Jonah... Uh, watches all of that happen. We pick up in Jonah chapter 4 after God has said he would relent 
from his punishment. This is what it says, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well? to be angry. This is a weird change of events, right? Jonah, the prophet of God, who had no desire, he's a reluctant prophet of God, to tell the Ninevites to repent, goes into Nineveh, tells them to repent, and they listen to his message. This would be like me standing up on a Sunday morning and say, hey guys, y'all need to share the gospel with your neighbors and invite them to come to church with you next week. And then me being upset next week that we have standing room only in the church. Right? That I'm like, why did y'all do this? Why, why are y'all listening to what it is that I'm saying? Jonah is so frustrated that the Ninevites have, have repented and that God is gracious to them and he's not going to utterly destroy them uh, like he had promised that Jonah would rather die than watch God's grace demonstrated. This is a tough thing for us to understand. It's tough for us to wrap our heads around because we're like, Why would he care so much? Obviously, he had some deep-seated hatred towards this town. Obviously, he had some personal pride because his message, right, was that God is going to destroy y'all, kind of a nananaboo-boo sort of message. And then God said, I'm not going to do that. So maybe he had some pride out there that he said something would happen, and God is going to do the opposite of what Jonah had said God was going to do. But regardless of the situation, Jonah is exceedingly angry. I love verse 1 because it sets us up to who Jonah really is, right? When God demonstrates his grace, Jonah is displeased in that moment. I was sitting down uh, just seconds ago. My wife was talking to me and she's like, hey, is this the end of Jonah? Right? We should be, I don't know, she should be singing or something. I don't know what she was doing. She's just making a small talk with me on the pew there. She said, hey, is this the last week we're in Jonah? I said, yeah, it is. And, she, and I, I'm like, are you grateful for that? And now after being in Mark for like seven months or eight months or ten months, right? I mean, Jonah seems like just a little flash in the pan, but, but she's like, no, I've enjoyed it. And, and then she, she said, it reminds me of a situation from our, uh, our kind of young adulthood. Uh, I grew up in Sugarland, Texas, and there was a, uh, a young man in my college ministry. His name was uh, Kevin Whitaker. Kevin was a good friend of uh, my, my wife's family went to the little private school, I think he's up, that my wife and her family went to, and, uh, and, and Kevin was a good dude. Uh, this was my first kind of real ministry position. I did some intern work, and I did some kind of like office side work, but I was in charge of a college ministry at First Baptist Church Sugarland, and he was in my college ministry, the, the beginning of what that was, and then it was around this time of year, uh, several years ago, um, that, that we got a call um, that he had been murdered. Uh, he had been murdered, his mother had been murdered, and his father um, was, was fighting for his life. Uh, and his brother had also been shot. It turned out that his brother had organized the whole deal. His brother's a guy named Bart Whitaker. You can look him up on the internet. He's out there. Um, but Bart had um, gotten into trouble with some people, gotten into, he was just kind of a bad dude, troubled, troubled guy. And he had set up uh, 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 some people to come into his home while he was out celebrating his fake graduation from college. 
Uh, and when they were to arrive back home, the, the people who were in the house were to murder uh, his whole family except for himself, make it look like he was a victim as well, and then he would collect the life insurance money. That was kind of the, the scheme that, that Bart had laid out. Um, and we were, I, I remember that, that night, the, the news was so chaotic. It was really a, a weird thing to experience kind of firsthand as someone that you know and love um, watching them go through this. We went to the funeral, and Bart was there, and then he disappeared into Mexico, and eventually he's been brought out, and now he's serving a, a life sentence. Now it was commuted to a life sentence here in Texas. But um, the, the deal with that story is, you know, there are, there, there are people, Bart, uh, you know, when you, when you get caught doing something absolutely terrible, um, you know, soul-crushingly, agonizingly bad, you have some time to reflect on what you've done. And the prison system, um, ideally, should, should, should offer uh, inmates the opportunity to write, write penitentiaries, to be penitent, um, to seek out repentance for what it is that they've done. And in that process, Bart has, has done that. Right? He sought out the forgiveness of God. He sought the forgiveness of his father, who did not actually pass away, was rescued through some medical uh, hard work by doctors and first responders. Um, and his father has extended forgiveness to Bart, but there are people, like in that next circle out from the family, who are absolutely unforgiving. Right? And, and I know this because like, I, I, I can be in that sometimes. When I think about the situation, I can become emotional and worked up. Right? It's tough sometimes to work towards forgiveness. And here Jonah is, he's sitting on the side of the mountain, he looks down at these people who have, he has something against, and he sees that God is being gracious to them. And he gets mad. Right? Sometimes we get mad when we see God be, be gracious to others. But guys, here's the, the truth of the first little section there. Right? God has every right to distribute his grace to anyone that he wants as he sees fit. You and me, we have no right or ability to demand that God withhold his grace from our enemies or from those people who've done us wrong. We have no right to demand that God uh, you know, pushes his, his grace on top of people. God is sovereign over all of those things. And it is his sovereign choice. That means no one tells him what to do to distribute mercy and grace as he sees fit. And that is a good thing, because we are vindictive people. Everyone here probably has someone who has done you wrong at some point or another. I hope that you've let that go. I hope you're not carrying that. I hope that that poison isn't deeply rooted inside of your life, right? But for some of us, it's harder to let go of different hurts than others. But whoever that person is who's done you so wrong, God has every right to distribute them mercy and grace as he sees fit. And we, from the cheap seats of humanity, can't look at God and judge him as being wanting because he did not do what we wanted him to do in a situation. Jonah put himself above God on this, on this situation. And he looked at God and he said, God, I told you this is what you were going to do. I know what sort of God you are. You're abounding in love like it's bad. You're abounding in love and grace and mercy. Like these are negative qualities of God that Jonah's picking out. We love these qualities of God personally, but we don't always love them when they're given to people that we hate or we despise. There are enemies in the world, right? We have enemies as a country. We, some of us have enemies personally in our lives, but our, 
our, our personal enemies and our country enemies does not make them forever enemies of the Lord. And if God wishes and wills to show His grace and mercy to the most wicked of sinners, you have no right, dear friends, you have no right to stare at God like He's done you wrong. Because God offered you that same grace and mercy while you were yet a sinner. And God responds to Jonah a question he'll repeat again later. Do you do well to be angry? Right? It's kind of a self-reflection question. Like, are you sure you want to be mad about this right now? Jonah's pretty confident he does. Pick up in verse 5. It says, so Jonah went out of the city. After complaining to God, he left the city. And he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth, kind of a lean-to for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city, still crossing his fingers and hoping that the fire and brimstone may still come down from heaven to destroy them. Now, verse 6 says, The Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up, The next day, God appointed a worm, and it attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die a second time, and he said, It's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah replies, Yes, I do well to be angry. I'm angry enough to die. This is an interesting little story here. Jonah goes up outside the city hoping that God may relent again from his relenting and destroy the city anyways. And so he's waiting to watch the show that he prays God will happen. He sets up a little lean-to shade. Obviously, it wasn't that shady because when God appoints this plant to grow up, we don't know what type of plant it is, um, but but this plant grows up. It's got big leaves, obviously. It gives him nice shade. just shows up overnight. You see these plants sometimes in your yard, right? You you mow your grass one day, and you look at it a day later, and you're like, how did that thing get there, right? Like, how, how is it that this thing grows 17 times faster than the blade of grass there? But Jonah's got this plant, and it covers him. Right? It covers him with shade, gives him relief from the sun, and Jonah loves that plant. He loves that God would, would, would put that plant there just for him, and it, and it is. It's God's plant, right? God appoints the plant. God appointed Jonah to be a prophet. God appointed a storm to come. God appointed a whale or fish to swallow Jonah. God appointed Jonah again to be a prophet, and now God's appointing a plant to grow up. You understand that God is doing all of these things. Right? It's not just happenstance and that something just, just kind of coincidentally happened. God is making these things happen. And so he appoints this plan, and Jonah loves this plan. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful one-day romance, right? I mean, just like The Little Mermaid, right? A wonderful one-day romance, and you sell your soul for it. Bad story. Kids, don't watch The Little Mermaid. It really is a terrible life lesson. Disobedience to parents and whatever. Yeah, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible story. But Jonah loves the plan. He didn't do anything for the plan. He didn't, he didn't have to work to make the plan. He just loves the fact that, that God did it for him. And then God, just to kind of stick it to Jonah, appoints a worm. Now, this is, again, God saying, I'm going to take this worm, and this worm bites into the plant, and the plant withers 
and dies. So Jonah goes to bed one night, beautiful plant, wakes up the next day, dying plant. Someone went out there with some Roundup and sprayed it down. They didn't know what it would do to the food supply, I guess. But he sprayed the, sprayed the plant down, and it's bad news. Bad news for the plant, because the worm has eaten it. Jonah wakes up, and God, he looks at the plant, and he's like, dang it. And then... God appoints the weather to go against Jonah. So the, the sun is scorching hot. The wind is the dry, nasty wind. I don't know. Like in Rockdale, we, we can get that wind occasionally. I was in Amarillo the first summer we went to Amarillo. And I'll tell you what. You get up there into the panhandle of Texas, and I swear God appoints a drying wind to kill you. I felt like I was in a convection oven, right? That It was so dry and hot, just going over 112 degrees or something. Right? It was that sort of a wind, this east wind blowing across the desert. Um, and it was dry and nasty. And Jonah looks at this plant that's dead, and he looks at the weather around him, and he says, God, I am angry at you. Right? I'm angry at you because you have done this again. Please, Lord, kill me now. I'm done. I don't need to take another breath. Just kill me now. What I love about this story is that that Jonah misses the daily provision that God had given him the day before. Right, Jonah was gifted a plant. Jonah didn't do anything for the plant. God was gifting him this plant. Obviously, it was to show Jonah a lesson about his priorities in his life. But he gives him this. You know, God gives us amazing grace day by day. If you're a believer in this room today, you have been given tremendous grace every day of your life. And so often, I become the bitter, complaining person because I didn't get exactly the grace that I wanted. I didn't get the exact thing that I wanted. And so I I can become a bitter person. I remember... uh, one of my kids, I don't want to uh, betray which kid it was, we were at Christmas somewhere. And you know, when you go to family Christmas and you've got like aunts and uncles who barely know your kids, right? Um, right, and you get there and they give your kid a gift. They thought about your kid, they, they think about your kid, they give your kid a kid. And, and so we, we try really hard to teach our kids, like when you receive a gift, you say thank you, right? And you don't, you don't look at it with disdain because it's not as good as this other gift, or you don't, and one of our kids did this, they received a gift, and it was like, I already have this, right? And th- this person didn't know that you already had this gift, right? But, but I already have this, and, and, and like that's, I feel like that's how we are, those people, right? God gives us gifts, he gives us grace, he gives us mercies, and then we look around and we're like, yeah, but I really wanted that, I wanted that other thing over there. I wanted, and it's like we have our dreams and our visions for what our life should be. And God says, here is what you need, because God knows what you need. I'm going to give you this gift. And we look at it and we're like, eh, I mean, I guess. But I mean, he's got something nicer over there. Why 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 does he get all the good things, right? Or why does this person, and Jonah, Jonah gets this gift of this plan and then God takes it away. Right, but Jonah doesn't ever appreciate what God did. He doesn't, ever, he doesn't ever thank God for his provision for the plant. No, he just complains when God removes it. God gives us gifts day by day, and sometimes we experience the, re- the removal of those gifts seasonally in our lives. But God is still sovereign to do those things. You know, the, the sovereignty of God is a, it's kind of a buzzword inside of theology, but really it just means God can do what he wants. Ultimately, God's purposes will not be thwarted. 
by what you do. All right, so what he wants to do will ultimately come to, come to fruition. It doesn't mean that what you do doesn't affect things. It doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. Uh, I believe that your actions have great degree of worth and value in the scheme of what God is doing. But God's ultimate purpose is going to be fulfilled. He's sovereign. He's in charge of all things. And we should take comfort in that because he's good and in charge. You know, there's a story uh, C.S. Lewis writes about Aslan, right? And he's writing in Narnia, and one of the little girls in the story, you know, is like, is he, uh, is he safe? Talking about the, the lion uh, that, that is Aslan, is he safe? And uh, the beaver says, no, he's not safe, he's a lion. Right? And that's, a, that's a, the opposite of a safe animal. He says, but he's good. And that's what we know about God. He's good. So, so we can trust that if he's going to give us something, he's going to give us something that's good. And if you remove something, even though it hurts, even though we hate that it's been taken away, even though we put our lives and tied our lives up in that thing, if God removes that from us, he's still good. Some of y'all walked through great grief and loss. Some of you have experienced career losses. Some of you have had relational losses. Some of you have had health challenges and we say god where are you in the midst of this and i just want you to know god is still good in the midst of challenging situations when life is tough and things are rough god is still good even as it hurts on this side but we often forget god's grace in our daily lives and we focus on the negative things or on what other people have pick up in verse 10 it says so so and then the lord said to to jonah You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are over 120,000 people, and who do not know their left hand from their right, and also much cattle. Right, Jonah is concerned about this thing that has no eternal significance. Plants come and go day by day, right? Uh, They don't last forever. But Jonah has this great degree of attachment to this thing that's seasonal, that shows up and disappears, that he did nothing to earn, he did nothing to merit, yet God gave it to him anyways, and Jonah feels this great attachment to this thing that he had nothing to do with, and that has no significance in the grand scheme of the world. And yet God is looking at a city with 120,000 people, and he says that city has great significance. You know, every single human life has great significance. I mean, from the, from the smallest baby, I would go to the smallest baby formed inside of its mother's womb, to the oldest, most decrepit person approaching death's door. Every life has great value. Tremendous value in the eyes of God, but we lose sight of that in our lives. We don't care what happens to people so long as what happens to us makes us happy. So long as we get what we want in our lives, it doesn't really matter what's happening to other people. We are inherently selfish people. But God, he never loses sight of that. He never loses sight of how important each individual person is. God cares for all people. The Ninevites, God describes them as not knowing their right hand from their left. They're totally ignorant 
of the world around them. They don't understand what they're doing. They don't know what's in their best interest. And God says, I care for them. Jonah, you care about this plant that doesn't matter at all, but I care for these people. God cares for everybody. He cares for you, which should make you feel tremendously loved. And he cares for the people that you don't care for very much. You know, there's a whole world outside of, of America. That, uh, uh, one of the good things about technology is it links the world together. It can shrink the world down. We can find out what's going on in, you know, Malaysia or China or, or someplace in Africa. Like, we can find out the next day or within a, within a few hours of what's going on in those places due to the Internet. But, you know, it's tough for us to care about all those people. You read stories of, of genocide, you read stories of famine, you re- read stories of major catastrophes, whether it's uh, natural catastrophes or some sort of military catastrophe. Right? We read these stories and we say, oh man, that really, that's rough. There's some bad people out there. But it doesn't hurt our hearts. And it doesn't really hurt our hearts because it's not our people. Like We're not connected to them in the same way. But God cares for all people intimately. And in a special way, Jonah didn't understand how much God cared for people. Jonah thought he just cared about his people, people like him, good people, Jewish people, upstanding people. But God says, I care for those people, especially those people who don't know any better. I've been working through the book of Romans with my small group the last several weeks, and uh, one of the things that we're, we're working through is how, how do we deal with the fact that there are people around the world who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? There are people today living uh, in South America, not you know, 5,000 miles from where we are now, not 2,000 miles from where we are now, who've never heard the name of Jesus Christ preached to them. How do we deal with the fact that those people are, are lost in their sin? And the answer is we go aggressively to these people. We love these people enough to tell them the truth about who Jesus is and what he did for them. This is what we do. We're about to take Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It's coming up, uh, I don't know, probably next week you'll start hearing more about it. Right? The reason we take the Lottie Moon Christmas offer, the reason I'm going to tell you that you need to take some of your Christmas giving money, you need to cubbyhole it out uh, because like your, your kid doesn't need another sweater, I want you to cubbyhole that out and I want you to put it, put it in the plate. Right? It's because that money goes to make the gospel known to people who God loves who don't know anything about him. See, God cares for people. The way we care for people matters as well. Jonah didn't care for these Ninevites. God took a final dig at Jonah. I love it. It's the very very last word in the book of Jonah. He's like, hey, you know, they have 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. And he's like, oh, and there's cattle too. Right, and why would cattle be mentioned? Because Jonah's such a dang pragmatist. He doesn't care about these people, but he values livestock. He's like, well, if you don't care about the people, I mean, there's some other things that might matter to you here. How sad is that? And I think that's true of a lot of us. We don't care about people. We care about stuff. As I don't want to be that sort of Christian. People first. God puts people first. I want to be a people first person. But guys, we don't get to tell God how he's going to do his people first mission. We don't get to command that God does things our way. We don't get God to serve us. We get to serve Him. Jonah had it mixed up. The whole book of Jonah is a mixed up man who doesn't understand. He thinks thinks that that, that God is going to serve 
him. He runs away from God. He does his own thing. God says, no, you're going to go do this. Even when he's doing what God tells him to do, he's doing it because he thinks it's in his best interest to do it. He's a pragmatist, doing things his way. But guys, we don't, we don't, we don't get God to serve us. God is not a genie in the bottle that we can control and dictate what he does. He's sovereign, powerful, good. And you're lucky that you get to serve him. And so today, guys, I want you to take some, some stock of your time, your life, your priorities. Are you loving things more than people? Do you compare your gifts to other people's gifts to see whether or not God has given you what you deserve or what you think you deserve? And when you've done all of this self-inventory, I want you to put all that away and I want you to go serve people. Because that is the mission that God has sent you on. That the mission that we have as the church is laid out in the Great Commission, right? We are to go and to make the gospel known to everybody, everywhere, so that they might find salvation. And we will teach them the truth of the gospel. We will teach them the commands of God. We will baptize them so that they can receive uh, you know, the, the, the sign of their salvation. And we will train them so they can go and teach others as well. That is your mission. Serve other people. Stop begging God to serve you. And get on the mission that God has already called you to do. Jonah is the the least satisfactory ending in the Bible. It ends with a man who has no idea what's going on. But you know what? I think that's where most of us are. Confused. Mixed up. Priorities all out of whack. And God is imploring you, go do what I've called you to do. Love those people who are less lovable. Serve those people who no one wants to serve. Share the gospel with the watching world around. Jump on the mission that God has. He will do the work through you. Church, God has something big in store for you. We're about to wrap up this year, 2019. 2020 is coming. He has plans for you individually for his mission in your life. The question is, are you going to do those things? Are you going to have another year like this year and last year and the year before? Are you going to continue just to serve yourself? Let me pray.